Elite Air Force Commandos on a counterinsurgency mission 50 years ago. I was there. Tonight, you can be there also. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Tonight, you'll be going out on a counterinsurgency mission with Air Commandos, the men of the Blue Beret. And just like uh, in our uh, episode uh, last week in which the infantry started off their mission with an operation order, the Blue Berets also start their missions with operation orders. Nine months ago, this village had a population of 26 people. But because of pressure from the north and increasing terrorist activity, multi-yard families from the surrounding hills have been brought into the village for mutual protection. The present population of Dot Moderk is 739 people. The able-bodied men of the village formed a protective force of 150 irregulars trained and supplied by the central government. Blue Berets spell trouble for communist guerrillas, make no mistake. And you don't want to be on the ground when these guys fly in. Uh, Roger Orange, this is Rattlesnake Control. Have you in sight north of my position? We are taking small automatic weapons fire at this time. You are cleared in 250, departure route 070. Roger Rattlesnake, understand. There are no obstructions within 100 meters over 20 feet tall. Medical evac is ready on our light. Roger, have your light in sight. Now, Orange, we have a Dragon Ship Purple 3 inbound. Can you support us until he arrives? Now, Gary, that's the actual sound of combat. That's the actual sound of battle. And as you could probably tell, it sounds nothing like what you hear in the movies. Well, no, but and I heard what they had on the side of that uh, helicopter, uh, two miniguns and 6,000 rounds of ammunition. And the only thing that pops in my head when you say Hollywood, uh, there's actually a scene. I, I talked about this movie in the last uh, episode last week uh, in Predator, uh, former governor Jesse Ventura plays one of the action stars in that, has a minigun in his hands, and uh, it just zips bullets out like crazy. And so I'm imagining two of those things, because I can picture what it looks like in my head, I'm imagining two of those on the side of a helicopter, it must have looked very intimidating. Yeah, these guns were actually Gatling guns, <clears throat> and uh, that grating noise, that brrrr, that's not the way we portray it in Hollywood. That is not the way you hear it on your war films. But that is the uh, our listeners tonight 
actually heard what it sounds like when 6,000 rounds of bullets spray the ground. And let me tell you something, every one of those bullets that landed created a spark. The whole area was just lit up one uh, with thousands and thousands of sparks. Nobody could have survived that onslaught in that piece of ground. Now, I have a question for you. So you mentioned the Blue Berets. How are they different than the Green Berets? The Blue Berets are the Air Force uh, commandos, and, of course, the uh, Green Berets are the Army um, uh, commandos. But Still tough hombres. Yes, and they work together. And in our program tonight, we are actually going to hear part of a mission in which they are working together. Now, these are all trainings, though, right? Or are these actual missions? Right. Uh, this was a training exercise uh, because before anybody goes off to Vietnam, or at least before they went off to Vietnam back then, they had extensive training, and so this was a training exercise. Uh, the Special Operations Forces, by the way, Gary, they uh, also uh, train people uh, in uh, different countries uh, some peaceful pursuits, and they offer medical services. So yeah. uh, these guys may be commandos, but their whole job isn't necessarily fighting battles. Uh, they okay. do a lot of other things to win the hearts and minds of the people in the countries where they're Located Right, because it's about establishing trust, too. I mean, you can't just come into somebody else's country and start right. uh, and, and, and they had the expertise. So if they needed to get a water system going and uh, getting mm -hmm. uh, pure water into a, a village, they knew how to do it. So we're talking about some technical engineers here, too. Oh, yeah. Their mission was multifaceted. So, But when we talk, uh, when you say the word commando, you, you automatically think of some of what we just heard uh, moments ago. And... Again, sometimes winning hearts and minds doesn't get the job done, and that's when the military force does come in. I, th I think the best person to describe the Air Commando mission is Captain John Rusbolt, Jr. Uh, we have him uh, on tape. He was a Vietnam combat veteran, and he deployed on a lot of missions as a forward air controller in that uh, very unfriendly territory. Let's see what he has to say. Well, the objectives are... Uh are uh, real large, as a matter of fact. It's a, to supply a worldwide capability for special operations, which in the classic sense is counterinsurgency. We in crews here to, uh, not only for Vietnam, as a lot of people think we do, but it's um, for South America, for Africa, for Germany. It's a little bit of everything. Uh, mostly to show another country that they can build an air force out of equipment that most people believe is outdated. Now, the uh, Blue Berets didn't always use bullets and bombs to pursue their missions. Sometimes they found themselves engaged with what we call psychological ops, psychological operations. They would drop printed materials from the planes that uh, people on the ground could read. And we've got a, a cut coming up now that is very unusual. What you're going to hear comes from a plane 10,000 feet above the ground, so high you can't even see it up there. And can you imagine the powerful speakers they must have had to employ Oh yeah, so that you could hear this uh, sound? And wh what it is, it's a Vietnamese singer singing a song, and I'll tell you after you hear it, uh, mm -hmm. just what she was uh, telling the folks on the ground. So this is kind of like uh, in Apocalypse Now when the helicopters are flying in and they have the speakers blasting uh, Ride of the Valkyries. Oh, there's Hollywood repeating uh, real life. Again. Taking a little <laughs> bit of example from real mm -hmm. life. All right, let's go ahead and uh, take a listen to how they did it. 
Okay, I can see how that would be psychological warfare. Yeah, you couldn't listen to that. I don't think I could listen to it for very long. That's why that clip is so short. It's, uh, yeah, no, I can understand how they'd probably all be going nuts after hearing that for a little bit. But again, uh, it points out the uh, huge difference between uh, Hollywood and reality and uh, the the singing, of course, the quality is atrocious, but uh, you, you certainly wouldn't put it sure. on the radio and broadcast it. But in any event, uh, the people on the ground could tell that she was, her, the lyrics were telling them to lay down their arms, go back to their farms, pursue a peaceful way of life. What good would it be to end up dead like some of their friends and neighbors and, and relatives? Now, these were similar tactics that were used like in World War II, because didn't the Germans uh, play music and, and had radio messages to kind of persuade the Americans to go back to the U.S.? And I, I believe they even had pamphlets that they would drop from airplanes. Oh, yeah. Both sides uh, used the dropped pamphlet uh, idea uh, in World War II. I, I'm not sure, though, that they had the capability of uh, this uh, thing that we just heard. Well, no, I, and, and I don't mean like that they, they flew uh, planes uh, blasting radio signals, but they did have um, they, uh, over the radio. They had loudspeakers they, on the yeah, ground, too. They had loudspeakers, but yeah. I mean, they also had over the radios, the actual radios that they played, yeah. they had propaganda on the radio to convince you know soldiers that they missed home and that you know they their, their wives were waiting for them, and maybe they should go back because this was not a war for them. Now, I will say that the, the Germans did have one thing similar to this, uh, if you want to talk about noise being an, a psychological op. Their uh, Stuka dive bombers had a siren attached to them. Really? And when those planes started dive bombing on a target, those sirens were screaming, and that was kind of terrifying to the people on the ground. So there is a little similarity between what the Germans employed in sure. World War II and what we were employing there in Vietnam from the air. Yeah, it feels like we may have uh, borrowed from other countries as far as their techniques and how effective they may have been. Uh, very little is original. Too so, true. Gary, I tell you what, let's go ahead and finish the training mission on the ground. Moments ago, a forward air controller was dropped into unfriendly territory. He called in a team of Green Berets to paradrop into the area, and he will support them with air power while they're on the ground. And in the process, he's going to call in some airstrikes against enemy bunkers. And this, this is what it sounds like. All right, here's that clip. Now, if you uh, think that... Uh, 6,000 rounds a minute out of Gatling guns isn't enough. Uh, well, neither did the commandos, because after what you just heard, they called in a napalm strike. Oh, my gosh. That's like a wall of fire right yes, there. Yes, indeedy. Three kilometers. Surface winds are calm. Friendly positions will be 950 meters north of attack target. I uh, recommend you attack from 0802120. That was the actual sound of napalm dropping. Again, not as uh, dramatic as you might see it on the movie screen, but that's, that's yeah. reality. Well, hearing that last part, and I don't know how many of you could actually hear it, but he says, good hit, good hit. Mm -hmm. 
And even though this is a practice, you know, it's it's a little bit eerie to hear that, especially knowing that in a real war situation, there would be people on the ground that would be in the middle of that firestorm uh, as it's erupting around them. And as the uh, trainers uh, told us after that napalm strike, there was no sign of life coming from the enemy bunkers. The napalm was still burning on the ground. Special operations forces returned to base for the night. The men of the Blue Beret had done their job and done it well. Yeah. I, to me, it's just incredible. Uh, listening to all of this audio that you've been able to share with us and, and the history behind it, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I think it's wonderful that we get a chance to kind of look back because these are experiences that not a lot of us have had or uh, even know about because either we're too young or, uh, or it's just been forgotten. Uh, so I, th- I think it's just fascinating, and you know, I'm, I appreciate you bringing this in for us. Well, guess what? Next week we're going to have some 55-year-old tapes, and you're going to hear my voice 55 years ago. It uh, sounds a little different than it does right now, and so I'm inviting our listeners to be here for that. Gary, who are we going to have in oh. those 55-year-old interviews and tapes? Folks, you are actually going to get to hear an interview with uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, um, a group that was really uh, one of the leaders when it came to folk music back in the day. And uh, this was just a wonderful opportunity that you had uh, in college. Uh, And, you know, even though we're just talking about Peter, Paul, and Mary, there were a lot more artists that you got to meet in your time when you were doing concert promoting and stuff like that. Again, a jack-of-all-trades. Uh, but this is just one of the uh, the groups that you were able to interact with and get an interview from. And so uh, more that you're going to share with us um, is a wonderful interview that you had with the three of them. And that gives a little insight into uh, how they became a group and uh, their, their different personalities. So I think it's something uh, all of you are going to enjoy, especially if you are a fan of uh, folk music or just the 60s in general. Yes, and uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary were considered anti-war folk singers, so I think they're uh, an appropriate follow-up to our two-part uh, series on Vietnam, uh, very appropriate. Absolutely. And i got to tell you, Gary, uh, I absolutely loved the time that I spent with them, especially Mary. She was a real sweetheart, and we're going to find out more about that. Oh, next yeah, week. we'll have more time next week to talk about that, but for now... I'm we're- Richard. <laughs> and I'm Gary, and these are our incredible stories.